for joining me for the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. So on today's show, we're going to cover a topic that makes me extremely uncomfortable, and it's whether vegans should own guns. And it was brought about because of what happened last week at the Capitol. We saw a violent mob, many of whom were sporting anti-Semitic and racist signs, um, committing acts of violence, of treachery, of sedition, trying to overthrow the government. We're learning now about pipe bombs, about police officers being bludgeoned to death with fire extinguishers. And clearly they were abetted by some in law enforcement. They were allowed to do it because some law enforcement turned a blind eye or took selfies or pointed them in the directions that they were trying to go. And it, it appears that many of the protesters of the violent, seditious, treacherous mob were also in the military, law enforcement, and this is no longer fringe. Right? We've seen millions of people believing that this was a stolen election. And among them, a large percentage appear to be armed and ready to do violence. And we're seeing reports of threats of violence ongoing in the next couple of weeks, certainly around state capitals, around the inauguration. And I think there's a real possibility of widespread civil unrest. I don't know exactly what that might look like, but there have always been hate groups. There have always been hate crimes, but this is looking like something different. And when I think about it, when I think about who are the people who are armed in this society, it's almost always the people who believe things differently for me, right? I am a dyed-in-the-wool, progressive, liberal, semi-pacifist. I have never owned a gun. I have never wanted to own a gun. I think guns are abhorrent, and I think they should be banned, and nobody should have them, and they would be, the world would be better off if they didn't exist. And I find myself looking at this landscape and thinking, if the only people who have guns are the people who disagree with me, then I'm fucked, and our society is fucked. So I started thinking about, is there, given that there are all these guns, that there is all this violence, is there some sort of moral imperative that can either live alongside veganism or even be supported by veganism that says we have the right to defend ourselves? And I'm really, really confused. So I reached out to a longtime friend of mine, um, Hillel Nori. Hillel is a rabbi. He's also a martial artist, a martial arts instructor, a private investigator, a security expert, and for many years now, a firearms instructor. And he is a strong proponent of gun rights and a belief that gun ownership is not only ethical, but actually can be a moral imperative. And I wanted to talk to him and, and understand his point of view. And in the end, he did not convince me that guns are good, that, we, that guns are uh, morally neutral, and that everyone should embrace gun ownership as a means of preserving liberty and democratic values. And at the same time, I did not want to turn this into a gun debate. First of all, I'm not much of a debater. Second of all, I didn't come armed, <laughs> armed with all the statistics that one would need. So I gave him, you know, I responded with some of the things I think and the tropes and the, uh, the memes 
that I have, um, I have learned and learned to repeat in terms of my own views, but clearly I don't have a very sophisticated view of, of the gun issue. I really wasn't entirely sure what the difference between semi-automatic and revolver and fully automatic is, which, which he explains in our conversation. And you may get very angry at times at, at me, at my inability to defend an anti-gun point of view. But partly, I don't have that ability. And Hillel has obviously thought about this a lot more than I have. And being a left-wing, progressive, liberal uh, gun owner, he certainly has had a lot more opportunity than me to debate and to refine his views. But I, I really didn't want to debate him. I, and so if there are things that you hear him say, you know, I certainly could have pressed more on the issue of school shootings and the issue of what's the difference between the U.S. and pretty much every other country in the world. I just don't, I don't have that information. And again, I did not want to defeat him in a debate. I want to understand his perspective and also to feel like I have empowered myself and you, my audience, with knowledge so we can make decisions rationally. So I'm expecting a lot of conversation around this one. Um, I would ask you in that conversation to be respectful, to be open, to state your positions clearly without ad hominem. And let's see if we can work together to bridge some divides and to protect and defend and forward what we hold most dear in this world. So without further ado, Rabbi Hillel Nori, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you. So when people hear rabbi, they have probably a picture in their head, maybe, of what that would entail. And I can assure them that you do not fit that picture. Can you describe yourself? Um, well, thanks so much, Howard. I really appreciate um, your calling and uh, having us get together and have a conversation today. Um, uh, I, I've been a rabbi for uh, close to three decades, um, for more than 25 years, uh, served in congregations and in educational institutions. I um, I had two principal synagogues in my uh, in the heart of my rabbinic career, uh, one in, in Atlanta, uh, which is where I live, and one um, in New York City. Um, and I've been uh, um, active at two smaller congregations since then. Um, I um, I I got out of full time synagogue work about five years ago and. Um, uh, paid uh, more attention to my other interest, which is um, martial arts and house of worship security and firearms instruction, um, which, um, you know, goes a little bit to our conversation today, I think. Yeah. So you just said firearms instruction, right? Right. OK, so so I guess there are people who could combine rabbi and firearms instructor. But can we throw in like vegan? Yeah, sure. That's right. Um, <laughs> so I'm, um, you know, I guess I'll tell you, like, here's what I, you know, here's what I am and here's what I'm not. Right. You know, like um, I am a rabbi, a clergyman and, and an educator and um, and have been for a while. Um, I'm a martial artist. I'm a black belt in Taekwondo. I've been a black belt for six years. Um, I'm actually a third degree um, black belt in Taekwondo. Um, and um, uh I'm a I'm a licensed firearm instructor. Um, I've uh, taken classes on how to teach rifle and pistol. I've been um, 
a certified range safety officer for I'm, I'm not a police officer. I've never been a police officer, never been a soldier. Um, uh, so I, I don't have any of that kind of experience, but I have been a licensed private investigator here in the state of Georgia. And, um, and I work with a, a house of worship security company that um, makes products for security and safety of houses of worship. Um, I've taught dozens of people how to shoot, and I've been an active uh, enthusiast and shooter for about the last 15 years. Um, plus, I've been a vegan for more than a decade and vegetarian for more than half of my adult life. Um, even before people you know, were vegetarians, I was a vegetarian. And um, I have a YouTube channel where I do some vegan cooking and stuff like that and share some of my uh, other interests. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm a okay. mix, a strange mix of things. You ask my kids, um, uh, what's your dad doing? They say, well, it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, like we're talking today because I and a lot of people were freaked out by the violence that we saw last week and that I think any person with their eyes open realizes is not going away um, and right. is going to be, you know, aimed at people of color, at Jews, at liberals, right. um, at urban dwellers. Like, right. um, and this is kind of a conversation I didn't really want to have on the podcast, um, but it feels like very important now. Um, and, you know, I reached out to you as opposed to like other, you know, firearms instructors because of the commonalities and like you are someone who kind of breaks apart the idea that there are camps that, that if you're if you're in one, camp, you know, if you support Israel, then you are Republican, then you're you know, you are for <laughs> abortion rights, then you must also um, want immigration like these, you know, these all get right. sort of mixed together, you have your your sort of loving vegan side and you're also a firearms instructor and a gun rights advocate. So. Right. So, um, I, well, you're absolutely right. Um, I I don't like the divide in the camps that have sort of emerged. I think that really is uh, that serves the interests of the camps, but it does not serve anybody else's interest. Um, uh, there are a lot of um, uh, not conservative, not right wing gun owners. Um, it's really a misunderstanding uh, to think that uh, gun owners means you're a right winger. I'm, I'm, I'm not a right winger. Um, my right wing friends, you know, can't figure out how it is that I'm pro choice. and My left wing friends can't figure out how it is that I'm pro gun. Um, but I I have to say they're that they're both wrong. Right. I mean, you know, the um, uh, uh, left politicians are right on many, many things, and I agree with them on many things. But on the gun issue, they're 180 degrees wrong. And I actually, um, one of my critiques of um, of them is they know they're wrong. Um, just as the uh, right wing politicians know that they're wrong on the uh, pro choice um, issue, they know it. They know that it's the uh, correct position to be pro choice, but it doesn't serve their own. Uh, political interests. And so um, uh, they feed that divisiveness. And I, I just reject that completely. Um, mm -hmm. uh, gun ownership is not a um, left-right issue. And as you correctly pointed out, um, people who are minorities, people of color, um, LGBT people, 
Jews, Muslims, people in a minority religious group. Um, uh, they are like, more likely and more subject to group violence and to criminal violence. And, and I think uh, what we're seeing now is that, the, that we can include political violence in that as well. And um, uh, I hope we'll talk about some of the specific objections that liberal people or the people who aren't right wingers, I don't know how you want to call them, uh, but people who wouldn't see themselves as supporting gun rights. Um, let's talk about some of the things they believe and um, why I, I don't believe those things and why I, I think they would uh, change their mind if they knew something. OK, so um, I'll be that they because I am that. Day. Sure. Yeah, good. Mm hmm. Right. So. Well, I, I used to be that. Right. I mean, I, I did not grow up in a house with firearms. My parents were not gun owners. Um, I never shot a gun until I was an adult um, or handled a real firearm until I was an adult. Um, and I wasn't a gun owner until, you know, I was a, a, until I had children, until I was, you know, just um, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I, I wasn't one of those either, I guess. So, yeah. But yeah, well, so um, uh, what's what's on your mind? What kind of questions do you have? Well, I also I also want to be a little careful. Like, I don't want to turn this into a gun rights debate because I have another agenda. So okay, I just, yeah, I just I just kind of uh, no. Fact, let's just touch. In fact, we'll touch on think, them. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I would. You know, we we could have that discussion another time, and you might convince mm -hmm. me, or you might not. Well. Um, well, let me just say a few things then philosophically, really, right? Like, okay, um, yeah, how that's, I, that's, how I, I'd rather do I, I'd rather do that yeah, than talk sure. about you know waiting periods and restrictions. No, 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 no. But um, I mean, um, I, I meant more philosophical uh, misunderstandings, and so I'll give you an example of what I mean. Right? Um, uh, the uh, assumption that if you if you like guns, you're a violent person. Uh, people who like weapons are not violent people. Uh, at least that's not been my experience. Um, yes, it's true that um, weapons um, can be used to, you know, be violent between two people. Um, but, uh, you know, we've all seen uh, archery competitions. We've all seen um, uh, bamboo sword competitions. We've seen things where... Um, uh, people express their athleticism and their um, it's more like dancing almost than anything else. Um, if you watch the uh, biathlete who are, you know, intense cross country ski trainers and these very intense, well-focused marksmen, um, uh, the, um, uh, the association of guns and violence is, um, uh, again, I think it's, it serves a political divide to say gun violence, but guns are not really violent. Um, they don't do anything on their own. They're really morally neutral. Like anything, any weapon, any tool, um, anything, it is, its morality depends uh, really entirely on the person who uses it and in the way in which it's used. Um, you know, you can use a knife to slaughter an animal, or you can use a knife to chop a carrot. And um, uh, for me, there are uh, uh, moral distinctions between them, even though the action itself is pretty much the same. The chopping of the knife is more or less the same. 
Right. Well, but in, in response to that, I would say, you know, other morally neutral tools were, were created for positive purposes. You know, I'm thinking of George Carlin's line about like, you know, the invention of the flamethrowers proof that one guy one day said, hey, I'd like to set those people on fire, but they're too far away. Like, you know, you think in terms of like guns are not morally neutral in terms of where they come from and like their purpose is to kill. Well, um, so um, there's a couple of problems with with that uh, particular approach. Um, the simplest one, it's going to sound kind of controversial and maybe coming from a clergy, it'll sound kind of weird. But um, uh, killing is not always wrong morally. Um, it's it's never good. But it is not always morally wrong. Um, most religious traditions, um, Judaism included, um, allow and in fact uh, may even require you to, there are times where you might be called upon to kill someone in righteousness. The simplest is if they are trying to kill you. But most religious traditions also have uh, a notion of justified war where um, an invading or an intruding army, I mean, to defend yourself against um, physical assault, be it on a global geopolitical level or on an individual personal level, is not immoral. It, it's, in fact, I would argue it's uh, you're, you're compelled to defend your life against someone who's attacking you. Um, the other problem with guns were made to kill is that um, uh, that's, it, it's not entirely true. And I start to sound a little pedantic, but many guns are made just for recreation or for enjoyment. Um, it's, I, I think, you know, um, uh, people picture guns, they picture one particular kind of gun. Um, uh, and, and even that gun is not really always you know, made for killing. Um, I think also if you want to talk about the origin of things, I mean, uh, the origin of most tools is different than the way that we use them now. Um, and many, many tools were created um, uh, by the military and with the military um, intention in mind. The, the internet that we're using right now is developed primarily, you know, by the armed forces for, you know, really quite nefarious reasons so um uh right of course what you could, you could created say for and how it's used uh, could be very very different of course you could say that the internet has become far more violent than the military ever imagined well right um uh look there's no question right here's here's where i'll agree with you there's no question that um firearms allow people with bad intent evil people to be evil more easily. They are, uh, they are easy to use. Uh, guns were invented um, and, and developed in that way because, um, you know, there is a need and there is a use for contact at a distance. The truth is flamethrowers served a purpose. They served a logical military purpose. And unless you think all military purposes are immoral, uh, I'm not pro-war, but you know I recognize that if you're going to fight in a war in a battle and people are going to die, well, um, you want your tools to work correctly. 
Um, you want them to be effective. Otherwise, it, you know, there's no morality to being badly defended. Okay. So what, what about the, the public health issue that we can, you know, from my understanding, from people who are better at statistics than I am, that there are countries that have much stricter gun laws, have a lot less homicide, suicide. Um, they're much less violent, much more peaceful societies. And so by saying, well, everyone here can have guns, like America really is a, a crazy anomaly in the world. So um, uh, I think whenever you get into things like that, um, we have to um, be careful about the statistics that we use. and, and um, and try to be honest about them and not use ones that aren't really good, but kind of make prove our case. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples from, from where I'm coming from as well. Um, uh, the, the problem with most of those statistics that you're talking about is that they, um, they make a, a, you know, some kind of correlative. There is a, there is, it suggests a connection between um, but that's not exactly, you know, statistical um, causal link between things. For example, there are countries with much stricter um, gun restrictions than the United States has, where there is tremendous interpersonal and, and, and state citizen violence. I mean, you wouldn't want to live in those places. Um, there are places with much stricter uh, uh, gun control than we have with higher levels of suicide. So in other words, gun restrictions do not actually prevent suicides. That is, I think, not true. Um, it is true that uh, it makes it harder to, um, uh, to use a gun to kill yourself. But people killed themselves before there were guns, and uh, Japan and Korea's uh, suicide rates are much higher than ours, and they have much stricter gun laws than um, those are really cultural issues, primarily. Uh, my issue um, with most of those statistics is, here, here's one that supports my side, but that I don't use because it's not really a good statistic. 99% um, of privately owned guns in the United States are never used in any criminal way. That's true. But okay. it's not really, it's not meaningful, right? Because it sort of, it obscures what's really going on. Um, that one percent—it's still a pretty high number, right? One percent can be a big number. So yes, it's true that ninety-nine doesn't, but that one percent is still pretty intense, and it's it, it, it's concerning. Mm -hmm. My issue—I uh, um, I would pose one thing as a counter and one thing as a as a, as an alternative solution. The counter is when you talk about the way guns are used, you also have to talk about the way guns are used positively. If we're going to talk about whether or not they're good, then we have to understand that guns are used defensively also. Most gun owners are good people who don't use them criminally. And um, uh, many people uh, use them defensively. So um, you have to ask, you know, well, if they can be used defensively, maybe, that's, maybe that outweighs the negative. Um, uh, it, my understanding and where I'm coming from is that the positives outweigh the negatives. Whatever danger it brings can actually be mitigated. There are very safe ways to handle guns. I've dedicated a decade of my life to learning and to teaching people how to do it. 
and I've taught many people how to safely handle guns. Right, and I'm sure you're my, I'm sure the you way might. I would address the underlying social concerns is I would say the, the mistake is to look at the object rather than the uh, the um, the underlying causes. I want root causes to be mitigated. If you take away the guns, you're not going to eliminate suicide, but there's a root cause to suicides. Guns don't make people suicidal. Um, uh, no, but they can make, I, I want to talk they about can make people successfully suicidal and they can make people impulsively suicidal and they can make no, people impu no, impulsively it, homicidal. No, it, it really doesn't work that way. I mean, it's, it's the very, very smallest, smallest of percentages where that's true. If you look at if you really drill down deeply into what the numbers are, into how people really use guns, um, uh, you, you're talking about a very, very small statistical body of evidence where it is it suggests that there might be a connection. But at the same time, um, uh, you, you know, you're talking about um, if, if that prevented X number of suicides, but it allowed X number of violent crimes to other people because those people could not defend themselves with a firearm. You, I mean, you'd have a hard time telling the person who defended their life and the wholeness of their body that they should be more understanding because someone else, somewhere else, committed suicide with with a gun that wasn't theirs, that they had nothing to do with. Right? I mean, that's, um, you have to be very careful because then you start to get into a situation where you talk about limiting people's abilities and rights on a broad public health agenda when, um, when it may not actually work and you're going to impose a tremendous restriction to people who really believe and with good reason that guns protect them and defend their lives. Um, so, uh, 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 the promise that suddenly there will not be a, uh, you know, a, a, a suicide, that there will suddenly be a lot less suicide because my gun rights are restricted is a, that's not really statistically defensible. Really? But you don't think if we, if we had a blanket, you know, restriction or ban like there are in most other Western advanced democracies that, you know, you still but the people who are attacking have guns, too. So we're just talking about, you know, a, a playground fight when now every every kid has a has a rock instead of. Uh, do you do you have a plan to get the guns out of the hands of the criminals? Well, I'm not speaking about an individual. We're, we're having this conversation because there are guns in the hands of criminals. Well, right. And but there but um, but you, you really I mean, you can't really think that you're going to eliminate that. Um, by the way, um, uh, you could make it illegal, but it is now um, possible to uh, 3D print a gun in your garage. So um, the, 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 the only, I mean, uh, here's the analogy I would use is prohibition. If we just made it illegal. And, you know, we, you know, we could get rid of drinking. I mean, there was a catastrophic mm -hmm. failure because it didn't prevent drinking. It never could really have prevented drinking. It actually made alcoholism worse. It created the uh, militarized police um, that we're still dealing with. I mean, prohibition was so bad that we overturned it. All right. So I'll, here's where I'll go along with you.
sure. the the genie's out of the bottle. I would rather live in a place like Australia, uh, you know, or New Zealand, where almost <clears throat> nobody has a gun and there's no gun culture, or England, where the police went around without un unarmed. There was a, but given given that we have the gun culture that we have, and <clears throat> given that this week I saw a violent mob um, coming after everything I hold dear and recognizing that that's not the end, it's the beginning. I am now interested in gun ownership as as a vegan, as a right. Jew, yeah. as a Democrat, small d <laughs> and right. large d, unfortunately, at this point. And um, first of all, I have to get I have to get over my own personal aversion to so, you know, so what I've heard, if I have a gun in the house, I'm much more likely to shoot my balls off than to ever use it to hurt someone else. Um, yeah, that's um, uh, that, that's another one of those things that uh, for the most part really isn't true. I mean, it's only true in the most limited way. Um, there is uh, uh, it's also true if you own a car that you're more likely to get into a car accident and kill yourself in a car accident. Um, but that's not a reason not to have a car. That's a reason to drive safely and to, you know, follow the rules of the road um, and not text while you drive. Um, uh, and I think um, uh, my experience with, with teaching people how to shoot and often um, for the first time to handle a gun is to really try to demystify it. You know, guns really... Uh, it's going to sound like a talking point, but for me, it's not a talking point. You know, guns are, they're things, okay? They're things. You don't have to like them, but they're, they're just things. They and, and they do operate a particular way. You can learn how to use them. Normal people have them and use them normally. Um, uh, and um, if you can do that, then, you know, you, you can safely handle them. And, um, uh as a vegan, you know, I, I, I deplore unnecessary violence. It, I mean, I guess if I really felt like it was necessary, like I had to eat a fish in order to live, like that would be a different conversation that we would have. But I don't need that. It's not necessary. And in many ways, it's not even good for me. So um, to withhold that violence when it is unnecessary, I mean, I hold that as a deep philosophical notion. Um, I, I do that as a gun owner, too. It's not, I'm not, uh, but I'm prepared. And maybe this will sound strange, too. Um, it, we're a balance of things. If all you are is, is, is sugar and sunshine, people will take advantage of you. And you cannot allow brutal people to take advantage of you. That's not a moral position, in my opinion. To let somebody harm you is not okay. So um, a righteous person who is balanced will have a complete revulsion from unnecessary violence, but will be able to deliver righteous violence in defense of something that's good. You bring to bring harm to my kid? Where's the morality in saying, I won't hurt you? I will fight you. I will stop you. And, and my appeal to your reason, I mean, that, that there's no appealing to reason with somebody like that or waiting for the police. I mean, if, if, 
if the week's events demonstrated anything, you wait for the police, the mob charges in. Um, you, 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 uh, uh, you, you have this picture of a gun-free world as one which is less violent. Now, by the way, gun ownership in Australia is not a low percentage. They just only are allowed to own certain kinds of guns. Um, but many people still own guns. And they're not violent with them because they're not violent people. They have a low crime rate. They always did. Restricting guns did not actually change the trajectory of their crime rate. It didn't because there are other reasons. The gun is not the operative thing. Um, so to me, a gun-free world is a, is, a, is a vicious medieval world in which the strong dominate the weak and the majority tyrannize the minority. I mean, um, uh, uh, to uh, 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 a gun is is a great equalizer. How do you, as a minority, as a physically weaker person, as a really a persecuted minority, how do you stand a chance against the majority mob? By the way, when when black people were fighting for voting rights in the United States, you know what else they were fighting for? Gun rights, because people wanted to restrict their right to vote and wanted to be able to intimidate them and restrict their right to defend their own life. So um, to me, it's, it's an expression of minority rights. Yeah, that's right. I should be able to have the same force as anyone else. And some artificial world where we pretend that guns don't exist. I, I don't know, really? What am I going to now? Now I need a knife. Or a club to defend myself. Right, Suddenly, the world uh, got uglier. All right, so let, let's play that out. So for yeah. for me, I live in uh, rural North Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I try not to be a doomsday thinker, but it, doomsday thinking comes very naturally to me. You know, I think partly yeah. it's the uh, you know being a first generation. <laughs> Um, child of a Holocaust survivor, like it's very, it's very easy for me to go there as a history major in college. It's very easy for me to go there. I can I can imagine a bunch of dis, you know, disgruntled people around here saying right. we're going to go. We're going to go mess some shit up where, the, you know, the capital was very poorly defended, but it was defended. We're going to go to the local, you know, city hall. We're going to go to the synagogue. We're going to go. Right. Are, aren't they going to have like semi-automatic weapons? Like what what realistically could I do short of an Apache helicopter to, you know, to actually equalize against a mob that is buying these kind of, of military grade weapons? So um, uh, that's an excellent question. And I mean, you're raising one. You know, I don't have like the world's perfect answer to it either. Um, uh, I, I do think like the the preparedness mindset is is crucial, and um, I, I think it's a religious imperative. I think it's a Jewish imperative. Um, the whole Passover story to be prepared as you leave Egypt, take take provisions for the way. The Israelites take swords with them because they know they will encounter hardship and, and struggle in the desert. Um, so being prepared is a religious imperative. It is also a personal adult imperative of a responsible adult to be prepared, right? I mean, have the things that you need to have to be able to um, survive and to thrive through what is 
predictable. There's, there, some things are predictable. So, you know, um, the simplest thing is you have flashlight in the drawer with extra spare batteries because the power goes out. And it goes out not always in the middle of the day. So nobody thinks that, you know, overreacting to have a flashlight in the drawer. Um, uh, it is a, it, the likelihood of encountering mob violence is relatively small in the United States. And thank God we are, for the most part, a civilized place. But it is not zero. You could really be exposed to interpersonal violence and or mob or political violence. So um, uh, you, you don't need an Apache helicopter. Uh, that, that, I think, is, uh, is, is an exaggeration. And there's no um, uh, tool that solves every problem. Right? A handgun or even a rifle um, isn't going to solve every situation or every problem. But um, here's what I do know. Um, uh, people respond when you shoot back. Um, if you put rounds on the enemy, uh, they change the way that they are going. Um, uh, the same is true in a martial arts sparring match. You know, if you let the other guy kick you all the time, they're going to learn that they can kick you all the time, and they're going to keep coming at you. But if they throw a kick and you light them up the first time they come in, they will change their approach. So um, I believe in fighting back. I think that it is, again, I think it's a moral imperative. Um, that guy has no right to hurt me and no right to hurt me and my people and my family. Their blood is not redder than mine. Um, uh, you know, as a vegan, I don't have to allow myself to be attacked by a tiger and not try to live at the tiger's expense. I have to just not kill it when it's not necessary. But we're allowed to struggle and fight to live. I want to live. And you, the only thing that you could possibly think is it couldn't possibly happen here. N nobody is out to get you. Nobody is out to shoot up a, a, a gay nightclub or hurt your children in school. But that's not true. People are trying to do that. And they will try to do it no matter what you restrict them. You cannot stop them from having weapons. You cannot stop them from lighting a fire. But you can empower others, allow others to empower themselves, to stand up and defend themselves. When I teach uh, uh, young people about guns or about martial arts, I tell them the most important thing you need to know about me in fighting is I've never been in a fight in my whole life. And if, I, and if someone came for me, the, what I would do is I'd run away. I'd run away. Why? I mean, why fight? There's no advantage to me. And then they always ask the same question. Kids are great. They say, well, what if you couldn't run away? What if they chased you down the alley and you were stuck in a dead end? What if you couldn't run away? I said, well, then I would hit him as hard as I possibly could. And then I would run away. Right? In other words, I, I, I want to go home at the end of the night. Um, I, 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 uh, um, I think that's the, the noble thing to do. You, you, you're not allowed to let somebody harm you. That's not a vegan way. That's not a peaceful way. Um, you're allowing someone to do violence to another living thing, yourself. Mm -hmm.
I, I personally, I won't allow that. I won't allow me to, to harm someone who, who I'm responsible for. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so then, but I mean, the question I asked was about like if people are coming with um, I don't know M16s or Kalashnikovs, like what right. do I need? Like you know, so if, if I'm thinking like my if I'm going to get a gun, my first right. gun is it going to be you know a, a Glock handgun right. or a, 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 a shotgun? It's not going to mm-hmm. be something that's going to be the equivalent of of a, a semi-automatic weapon, right? Um, so. Um, semi-automatic sounds really bad, but semi-automatic is not so bad. Let me let me give you a little, a, a quick little rundown on on, on gun terminology. Okay, um, it, a, there's there's rifles and there's handguns. Okay, and I'm going to include shotguns with rifles, even though they're technically different things. Right? There's no twist to the barrel. Right? They shoot a different kind of projectile. So, um, but let's say rifles and shotguns are one are the same thing. And handguns, pistols, right? Things that can be shot with one hand. Okay. And that includes that includes semi-automatic pistols, um, things like a Glock, um, and it includes revolvers. So, um, uh, handguns, pistols are meant to be able to shoot with one hand, so that you can hold it in one hand and shoot. That means like a revolver or a handgun, like what police officers carry, uh, what you would call a sidearm. Right. Something that anybody could carry and anybody could hold and operate with one hand. Um, rifles are, you know, two hands uh, that you, you shoulder them, you hold them differently, and they generally require two hands to use. Um, it, on a certain level, rifles are better because they are easier to use, easier to control and handle. You're, you have both hands on the gun and your shoulder and when there's more control over it and you have a longer sighting distance so it's easier to aim it and to control it and to handle one but the the main disadvantage of a rifle is they're big you can't Mm -hmm. carry it with you um and for some people they're just too big right so um a a semi-automatic rifle though is is the all that semi-automatic means, whether it's a pistol or a rifle, is that um, when you pull the trigger, the hammer hits the pin and sets off the charge. And the bullet, the gases explode in the gun, and the bullet is pushed out the front of the gun. Now, in something like a revolver or a bolt action, something that's a manually activated gun, in order for me to shoot the next round, I have to do something to move the next round up into place. In a semi-automatic gun, um, the energy of the explosion recycles the action of the gun and loads the next round from a magazine, from a a device to hold all the bullets together. So um, in a semi-automatic, you pull the trigger, it shoots a bullet. Um, It takes that bullet out and loads the next one, but you have to pull the trigger again to shoot the next bullet. So just like a, a lever action, it shoots the bullet. I operate the lever to load the next one in, and then I have to pull the trigger again. Um, a semi-automatic rifle is, is really not inherently different than any other rifle. It's just, again, it's better. It's like an automatic car versus a stick shift car. It's it's better. It's more efficient. There's a reason why 
we don't drive stick shift tires anymore is because they're less efficient, less easy to operate. Um, uh, it's not because they kill better, right? Uh, uh, an AR-15 rifle doesn't kill anybody better or more effectively. It's just easier to use. It's a better, more modern design. Um, and it's, in fact, safer for the user because it's easier to operate, right? It means you'll miss less. So if, if again, we're, we're, we're at the point where the morality of the, of, the, of the tool depends on the user. If you're using it to hurt people and to charge into a synagogue and kill innocent Jews, well, then having it be more efficient seems bad. But if you're using it against a group of, you know, uh, skinhead thugs to keep them from coming into your house, being more efficient is good. So um, uh, most, look, uh, the, the best defense against a semi-automatic rifle is a semi-automatic rifle. And um, you wouldn't be badly served to say my first gun is going to be a, you know, a, 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 a multi-purpose rifle, a semi-automatic rifle. Um, some places you're not allowed to own things like that in the United States. There are states that restrict those things. Um, uh, and uh, most people, when they buy a handgun, buy a semi-automatic handgun. They're, they're the compelling majority of handguns that are out there. Okay, so so um, I'm gonna you know. By the way, my the, my I, I bought a gun um, about 15 years ago. I bought a revolver as my first gun. I, I bought a a full size 357 Magnum revolver, um, seven shots, and I still have and uh, uh, use that that gun um, even though I've I've bought other uh, semi-automatic guns since then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So when I when I see in the movies when I see Rambo. And I see yeah. someone, you know, shooting. What is that? That's what's called a fully automatic. That's an automatic rifle. Okay. That means um, you have a magazine, however many rounds that magazine holds. It will, if you, when you pull the trigger, um, the gun will cycle and continue to shoot until you let go of the trigger or it runs out of bullets. Okay. Uh, Rambo, you see, he's got the belt fed, right? Um, that's really a, um, uh, that's sort of a team-operated weapon where one guy carries the ammo, one guy carries the gun, you set it up. That's, that's meant to send a lot of lead downrange to suppress the enemy. Um, uh, it, it's, those, are not, those are not readily available to civilians in the United States. Um, okay. it, is, it is legal to own a fully automatic firearm, but... Um, uh, you have to pay a tax. It has to be registered. You can't take it out of your state. You can't buy one that was produced after 1986. Um, and the simplest entry level machine gun you could buy is, you know, on the retail market, is something like fifty thousand um, dollars. So it, they're they're not really available in the United States, so to speak. I mean, the people who have them are collectors. Um, uh, by the way, you know who else has them? criminals because they don't care that it's illegal so um so yeah so uh, what you see um arnold schwarzenegger and that kind of thing the full automatic weapon um either those people are felons for having them they're they're 
using something that just having it is illegal, um, or it's um, it's fantasy or it's military, something like that. Yeah, gotcha. you and I, um, you and I could not have a full auto weapon in any mm -hmm. way. Okay, so I, what comes up for me, I don't know why exactly, but a, a question I don't know if it's answerable. I don't know if you have insights on it, but as as terrible as the capital mob was and the violence that they perpetrated and this is both real and symbolic. One thing that confuses me a little bit is why there was not more gunshot. It seems like there was one right one uh, Ashley Babbitt woman was shot by the Capitol police. Right, police. Why, if, and I saw you know subsequent videos of, of some of the protesters like flashing their guns threateningly at reporters. Right. Can you, do you have any sense of why that didn't turn into a shooting bloodbath? Well, um, it's an excellent question. You know, I, I'm I have a little bit of knowledge about tactics and strategy and how things unfold in real life and. Um, the real life use of firearms. Um, here's the thing: for the most part, they were not threatened, right? So, um, uh, I, I think you know. If, if uh, first of all, uh, you had you had to travel to get there for most people. They had to travel to get there. Anybody who flew, you you can't fly to D.C. with a with a gun, right? I mean, so um, a lot of people didn't come. Right. The only people who, who were really able to, to bring guns are probably people who drove there or something like that. So that's a smaller percentage. Um, you do have to figure that some of them, even though they are, um, you know, I would never defend what they did. I mean, it's just indefensible. Uh, it's, it's criminal. It's seditious. I think all those words are true. Um, but that doesn't mean that they are undisciplined uh, firearms owners. Right. They're just criminals. Um, that doesn't mean that they behave badly with their guns, right? They may very well be quite disciplined about uh, my gun never leaves the holster unless my life is threatened mm. um, uh, and still done all that other stuff. So um, uh, it's, I, I think, um, I think if the response had been stronger I think we may have seen greater violence. As wrong as it was that the police didn't do anything, um, I do think restraint is good. I don't like militarized and empowered police to be empowered beyond anything else. They're still just police, and these are citizens, civilians. You know, you can't just say, well, let them mow them down. I don't like that. Nobody should like that. Um, so that they showed restraint is is partly bad, partly good. You know, I, I don't know how to judge that. Well, I mean, I would, but, I would say... I, I but would that say guy, I would who, like... the guy who shot the woman who was coming into the speaker's um, uh, lobby, uh, again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an anything, I'm not a soldier, I'm not a cop, I'm just, a, I'm just me, I'm only speaking for me. Um, that guy was a professional. Um, I, I watched that little video. He's, he had trigger discipline, his fingers off the trigger till he was ready and knew who was behind her. He hesitated for a moment. And it was really when he had no choice and had a clear and safe shot to take that he shot her once. That's it. You know? mm -hmm. So, um, and I, I do think uh, again, shooting back, um, changes the dynamic, like fighting back. Um, uh, half those people are just 
they just have no courage whatsoever. They only went because it was a mob. And as soon as a gun gets drawn, as soon as gunfire, they're going the other way, run away. Um, so uh, a, a gun changes the dynamics. And um, uh, when it's a gun in the hands of a, of a person who's doing the right thing, um, it, it changes the dynamics positively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, when, when we talked this morning in preparation for this, I was I was saying, like, partly I'm very interested for myself in, you know, again, I'm yeah. not comfortable with any of this, but I see the potential for some something approaching right. civil war. And right. I don't I don't want to be a bystander. I don't want to be podcasting and blogging and right. and in in in, in <laughs> cowering cowardice. Right. And I said, like, what what would you recommend for me? And I'll just ask that question as, as a representative yeah, sure. of an audience that I think largely are not gun owners, gun literate, gun friends, the way right. I would c- consider myself. What would, what would so, you say? Right. Um, so, um, uh, be, because of the hesitance that you've expressed, um, uh, and um, uh, but also because of the uh, the purpose that you're kind of describing, um, uh, guns are purpose driven. Um, a, a a small twenty two caliber cowboy action revolver is a different purpose than uh, a, a twelve gauge shotgun. Um, uh, so, you know, both of them are guns, but they, they serve very, very different purposes. Um, uh, for personal self-defense, there's, there's very little that's better than a handgun. Either a revolver or a semi-auto. There's advantages to each of them. Um, revolvers are, in a sense, easier and more simple. They're simple to learn how to use and how to load and unload safely. Um, but they tend to have a, a more difficult trigger pull. Um, so that you have to, there's, there's a little bit of trigger and marksmanship that makes it a little more difficult. Uh, semi-automatic is easier to reload, uh, is faster, is available in more common calibers, etc., and is in many ways easier to shoot, um, but it is a little more complicated a device and a mechanism. So a revolver is kind of a little easier to learn and to master, in a sense, than a handgun. Um, I would, in, even though people are tempted to get very small handguns because they just seem easier to handle, um, it's actually harder to shoot a small gun than it is a full-size gun. And since you're probably not talking about carrying the gun concealed, at least not immediately, um, I would say get a medium to full-size gun. It'll seem big to you. Like, I don't know, why do I need such a big gun? But it's actually easier to handle, and because it's a little heavier, easier to shoot and operate, even though it feels like it's more gun than you might need. Mm-hmm. Um, the alternative to that is to buy yourself a simple rifle. The simplest rifle is a twenty-two caliber rifle, and I would say a twenty-two semi-automatic. Um, that's a magazine-fed um Plinking gun, right? A 22 is generally not considered a self-defense gun. It's very small bullets. It, um, uh, they're not used defensively. Um, and it's mostly uh, for target practice, for 
um, very small game hunting. You know, if you hunt squirrels or something like that, um, it's meant for target practice and for learning how to shoot. And a 22 rifle is an all around, all purpose rifle. And honestly, if you needed to use it as for self-defense, they are lethal. You could still shoot them at somebody and it would still hurt them and they would change their mind pretty darn quick. Um, but it would not be considered a self-defense gun. Um, and it would be very easy for you to use and learn and shoot, um, very low recoil, very low noise and bang. Um, and they're kind of, uh, ubiquitous. Everybody has one. Um, if you're a gun owner for a, a little while, you probably get yourself a 22 rifle because they're fun and easy to shoot and easy to teach people on and learn on. Um, uh, there are also 22 handguns, but again, if you're, if you're serious and there's nothing wrong with buying a 22 to learn. Like you don't have to have the end of the world gun as your first gun. In fact, maybe that's not even the best idea. Um, but if you really did think I'm never going to own more than one gun, I probably would not suggest a 22. Um, I'd suggest either um, a full-size revolver, something in um, the caliber 357 is that allows you a choice of different ammunition loadings, lighter and heavier, um, or a semi-automatic handgun in one of the more popular personal protection calibers like 380 or nine millimeter or 40. And there's, there's advantages to each of those, but you get a little bit into the weeds on those things. Uh -huh. On a certain level, I'll make the pitch for a 22 pistol, which is um, it's very unintimidating. And the fundamentals are the same. The operation of the gun is the same. The trigger control and breathing and aiming and all those things, all the safe gun handling, you can learn on a, on, on a training gun. And uh, um, um, they're generally lightweight. They're easy to use. 22 ammunition is generally inexpensive. Um, and you're asking now at a time when um, uh, there's a national shortage of guns and ammunition. So it's, it's, it's not always easy to find these days the gun or the ammunition that you might prefer. Um, it'll probably be easier to find a 22 pistol or a 22 um, rifle um, and ammunition for it so that you could really learn how to safely handle a gun. Gotcha. So mm -hmm. since since this is a, uh, a health based podcast, a lot of the yeah, time, sure. I got to ask you about lead. Yes. Um, well, lead is poison. Right. I mean, you really you do have to be careful about um, uh, uh, handling ammunition and handling uh, the firearm when it's when it's dirty and foul, right? From shooting, um, uh, shooting is not a clean hobby, right? Um, so to say, so uh, guns get dirty when you shoot them. Um, they get fouled from the burned gunpowder, and there's some chemicals and stuff like that. Um, and of course, um, there's fouling from the lead in bullets. Some bullets are um, what are called jacketed; they're covered in uh, copper, um, and those are uh, uh, better to handle than just regular lead bullets. Um, but um, again, there are safe ways to handle it and to do it. Um, uh, one is um, uh, whenever you handle uh, ammunition, you wash your hands, right? So if I'm loading magazines before I go to the range, 
um, and I'm here at home or I'm, you know, doing something with ammunition and handling ammunition. When I'm done, I go and I wash my hands with soap and water because just handling it will, will get a little in the hand. Um, most ranges, if they're outdoors, you don't have a problem with the air quality because it's outdoors. Um, indoor ranges, um, um, almost all of them, if it's, a, if it's a decent range, a range that you would really want to be at, um, uh, they'll have very serious air handling. Um, everybody who works at a range is usually tested for lead exposure. They have like little things. They wear booties on their shoes when they go down range. Um, they put little sticky stuff for when you leave the range. Um, there's, a, there's a pretty good uh, consciousness amongst uh, um, gun ranges and gun owners that when you're done shooting, wash your hands. When you handle ammunition, wash your hands. Don't handle the gun and then go, eh, you know, touch your tongue and all that stuff. And in general, um, even people who work in ranges and shoot often or even reload ammunition, um, uh, do not have dangerous levels of exposure. So um, I'm careful, you know, every time I go to the range, first of all, I wear gloves, not like rubber gloves, but I wear, you know, shooting gloves. And that does keep my hands cleaner. Um, and then I still, uh, I wash my hands after I'm at the range. And when I clean the guns or handle ammunition or anything like that, I also wash my hands. Yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. So um, I guess to, 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 to wrap up, um, sure. you've, you've given some you know, sort of useful advice and guidelines for me to think about, like, what are the scenarios in which I might want or need defend, you know, protection or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but you you are you have been living in the realm of the unthinkable compared to most people, like just in terms of what what am I preparing for? What could happen? Right. Um, so given right. that, given that most of us were so shocked about what we saw on our televisions and on, on the on our Internet last Wednesday, and we're just starting to get our heads around the fact that there are I don't know if it's hundreds of thousands or millions of Americans with with mayhem on their minds. Do you have a sense of like what is thinkable? Like, what do you think is going to happen or might happen or what? How would you bookend like, I don't know, over the next two weeks, yeah. two years, 20 years? So um, uh, I, I like to think in terms of uh, both what's, you know, possible, maybe very distant likelihood. But um, uh, and but more than that, I try to think about um, what can I legitimately prepare for and what is legitimately possible or likely to happen. Um, anytime you're really talking about preparedness as a mindset, um, you have to prioritize. I mean, nobody can be prepared for every scenario that might possibly happen. And um, no matter how many guns you have or what kind of guns you have, you can really only shoot one at a time. Like I'm still just one person, um, you know, I don't have uh, a force of people behind me. I mean, you know, so um, uh, I, I think um, uh, serious social unrest is possible. I, I think you would be foolish to think that it's not possible. Um, I think our, our civilization, our civilized system um, is healthy. But I think it is breakable and it is there is a thin veneer that protects us from, you know, uh, really mob rule and violence. Um, 
Uh, there's not very many police, and they cannot really protect you. And sometimes the police are the problem. How about that? So um, I think, you know, very serious civil unrest is possible. Um, I don't think that's likely, but I, I, I don't think anyone can re realistically say that it's not possible. I think um, it is also possible um, that there might be, even if it is not broader civil unrest, that there's just local mob violence, that groups of people who are angry and disgruntled and bent on mayhem um, to try to hurt other people. Um, and um, I will say in our country, generally in this time, that means that people have a, a particular demography and a particular um, a political extremism. And I'm not, I'm not a part of that group, so that makes me a target. Um, and then I think there is also just individual personal criminal violence that can come to us. Um, people can be and are desperate and they act that way. Um, I, I, I wish that weren't true, but um, uh, the other guy doesn't need to have a gun to hurt you. And um, uh, uh, being armed and knowing how to use it uh, gives you options. It does mean that I think you have to think about what could happen and what would I do? You know, when I bought a gun to have in my home and to use for self-defense, um, I had to think, well, would I really use it? And under what circumstances? And what would I do first? And what, you know, what are the unlock codes? You know, what would I have to unlock to say, now it, it meets the standard and I'm going to pull this gun out and point it at a person. So you do have to think about um, kind of the unthinkable. What would you do if services and protective services were not available to you? What would you do if the fire department and the police department said, we cannot come to help you? How would you respond if three guys banged on your door in the middle of the night? What would you do? Um, I, I, nobody likes to think about that too much, but it is, it is actually, I find it empowering to consider it. Um, like anything to con that where we confront our mortality and our limits, um, it's actually, in the end, it's empowering to know uh, what, what is actually controllable and that we have the ability to respond. We can do something. We don't have to just sit there and get sick. We can change the way we eat and live a better life. We can respond to the world around us, and we don't have to let the bad guys threaten us. No, we don't have to do that. We can still love peacefulness and pursue the good world around us and tolerate neighbors and welcome people who are different than us and embrace LGBT people and fight for um, all of our civil and democratic rights. Um, uh, and we can do that um, armed and say normal liberal people are armed too. Um, that's part of being a responsible, good adult. And I'm in that pool. Well, you know, as a as a normal, responsible liberal who has never wanted to be armed and has never wanted to live in an armed society, all of a sudden the thought of all the guns in the hands of people who think the opposite of me was pretty right, terrifying. Not, yeah, that's not good. 
That's not good. I mean, after uh, after after the election and, and you know, when Trump started, you know, was uh, was starting to rile things up, I started getting very nervous. I called a couple of friends of mine in South Carolina, both liberals, and I said, like, I'm scared, like we're outnumbered. And they said, oh, no, don't worry. We we know lots of, you know, Trump, of, of Biden voters with guns. Yeah. Well, um, well, I do think there is there is a new and changing gun culture in that way. And um, uh, 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 people of color and women um, are the two largest and fastest growing segments of the firearms uh, 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 ownership world. Um, uh, it is no longer true that um, uh, every gun owner is a right winger. It's not even close to true. Anymore. Um, uh, uh, many, many. I'm, I'm part of um, online groups that are um, uh, uh, Jewish gun owners, black gun owners, gay and lesbian gun owners, trans gun owners, liberal, liberal gun owners, liberal veteran gun owners. I mean, there's a whole range of people um, who uh, know about firearms, understand what they are, and understand that they they play a liberal role in our history and our democracy, too. Um, it's, it's not good for our republic to have a disarmed populace. An armed citizenry is a foundation of a strong democracy. Um, it is harder to oppress an armed minority um, and to enslave armed people. And it is easier for armed people to stand up against injustice and tyranny and to defend their own life. Uh, those sound like very liberal values to me. They're my values. Um, and I think more and more liberals are saying, you know what? I don't like the way some people use guns, but gosh, Hillel, he's kind of normal. He's a nice guy. And I know three other people who are just like that. Uh, maybe... Maybe I could be just like that too. Uh, and um, uh, if um, if anybody wants to learn, um, there are there are liberal gun instructors who aren't all about the politics and don't um, uh, don't belong to the NRA and don't support Trump, um, but are happy to empower you um, to overcome that fear and hesitancy with knowledge. Because uh, if you know how to use it, um, suddenly it becomes a tool that you're capable of using rather than something you have to be afraid. Right. And I was in a, uh, a meeting this morning and one of one of my teachers, a, a coach teacher of mine, Marshall Goldsmith, said something that I knew and was obvious, but I never thought of it before. He said you can you can disagree with people without hating them. You can fight people without hating them. You can go to war against people without hating them. Correct. Correct. And, right. and so so for me, the idea that Oh, so like any kind of violence has to be predicated on hatred, on something that, that's twisted and ugly in my soul. Doesn't right. have to be true. Right. That's the, the root cause mitigation. That's why that's why I, I feel like, um, uh, you know, if we if we could snap our fingers and there were no guns tomorrow, um, everybody would still be just as hateful. They charged each other with swords and spears. And, and you know, I mean, like. Um, it, it would not change the human heart. But if you change the human heart, well, nobody would point a gun at another person ever. Or anything else for that matter. Um, so I, 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 um, I believe in, in, in my own heart 
and I believe in the hearts of other people. Um, so I, I want to, you know, I want to change their heart, but some people's hearts cannot be changed. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I won't allow those people to harm me. Right. So I guess in, in, in conclusion, I will say that I am still of the mind that I wish the were, there were no guns in the world. Right. Um, I think, you know, when you look at school shootings and mass shootings, you know, sticks and spears would not. So I I feel like I'm uh, I'm not there. And you've convinced me that living in the is world as opposed to the I wish it was world that I need to give some serious consideration to to gun ownership and the roles of guns, role of guns. In, in maintaining a society where, where we've seen the cracks in the veneer of uh, of our civilization. Well, I think that's very well said. So, yeah. Um, and um, uh, what a great conversation. Alex. Really, it's um, uh, it is, it, I, I continue to believe it, it, it's it's not hard to talk about these things openly and to listen to each other um, and Um, uh, a, a a political extremist, uh, one side or the other kind of conversation. I I just think that is that doesn't serve anybody anyway. All right. Well, you know, I'm I'm committed to having more more conversations with people whom, with whom I don't agree. Right. Um, with and and partly the reason I haven't done that so much is that I felt like it's incumbent upon me to have all the answers. <laughs> but, like, 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 I'm not going to prepare by reading, you know, hundreds of right. pages of statistics or analyses right. Right. and trusting my audience is, you know, like, you know, I'm holding firm on certain things. And I think just, you know, to find people of good faith who are interested in in the truth. Right. Um, you know, you, see, you um, seem like, you know, I mean, I, gosh, I've known you since we were what 20. Yeah. <laughs> We you, both uh, you, ta- you taught me the chords to my first Cat Stevens song. <laughs> the um, look, I, I I'm not um, I, I'm, I have strong opinions about guns, but I um, I, I, I know that uh, other people are also, um, you know, they're, they're good people. They're trying to think in their own way. Um, there are I, I do understand the opposing points of view and um uh, I, you know, I have I have room in my head for uh, uh, understanding that where people are coming from, and um, I, uh, I I think um, the, the the truth always um, lies in more than one voice. It may not be in the middle of two positions, but um, when you have two voices, you'll have more of the truth than if you only have one. Right. Yeah, and I feel and I feel better about my relationship to the truth, if I feel like it can withstand a conversation with someone who disagrees with me. Right, right. And where I don't have to say, I'm always right and always to everything I say is true. And right now, I don't have all the answers either. I don't. So. Right. Well, hello. Thank you so much. This is this has been very useful for me. What I a hope, pleasure. I hope that it's also eye opening for for my audience. And I really want me to too. thank you. For, for the work you do in the world around equality, around human dignity. Thank you. And, um, and thank you to for the people. Yeah, to the people, uh, uh, y- y- your folks who are listening, I'm, I'm not hard to find or to get in touch with. Um, 
Uh, I have a website. I'm on uh, social media. So um, tell tell us where we can find you. Give us a... um, uh, my website is hillelnori.com. H i l l e l n o r r y dot com. Um, I'm on Facebook under my own name, and I have a YouTube channel, um, Hillel Nori, um, where all the a lot of my vegan stuff is on YouTube. Um, and um, those are the ways you can find me. Okay. Are you still? I know you're not podcasting at the moment, but you have an excellent podcast that's, I believe, is still up. Thank you. I do. I have a ten-part uh, podcast called "A Swift Kick in the Soul," that explores the uh, crossover between martial arts and spiritual practice. Yep, and I've uh, and I do I, I do hope to start that back up again when um, uh, you know in post vaccine times. Excellent, good because I um, you know that was my complaint is that they they stopped coming. Yeah, sorry about that. It was re really good. So, all right, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, you know, actually, one more thing. So, people yeah, sure. Can follow people can follow you if they want to follow the conversation and maybe take some action and find liberal. Um, you know, right. small L liberal gun groups, or where would you suggest that they they go from here as next steps? Um, uh, well, um, you can search uh, in, in Google on liberal gun owners and the liberal gun club. Um, uh, they are uh, two national, you know, organizations, online organizations that um, have chapters in different cities, some of it, um, and um, they, they have a, a group online. Um, liberal gun owners. Um, it's, um, uh, that's a good first step. And, um, uh, within that group, people will point to point you to local resources, um, uh, gun stores and trainers and things like that. Places where, um, a, a non right wing perspective is more welcome. <laughs> great. Okay. Thanks. I'll put, I'll put all that in the show notes. Awesome. Great. And uh, again, I appreciate everything you do and your your generosity of spirit and your willingness to to engage um, with different voices. Thank you. This was really nice conversation. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. Bye bye. So I'd love to hear what you think of this conversation of this topic. Uh, drop a comment, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening on your podcast player. Um, get in touch. I'd love to hear what you think. So what else is going on? In movement news, I've really been grokking the monkey bar gym workouts. So doing those uh, three mornings a week, doing the strength workouts. And so I feel like a noodle the rest of the day. Um, doing some evening yoga classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays and uh, some Saturday mornings. And then running on other mornings, other days. And um, actually a lot of work right now doing firewood, just uh, moving it up, schlepping it. Um, we got another load delivered, uh, stacking it. Firewood takes a lot of calories <laughs> to make calories. So um, interesting, interesting uh, economics going on there. Uh, let's see what else. In uh, garden news, uh, we are now looking at the, the summer garden, the spring and summer garden, February, January, February, when the, um, the what do you call it, arrive. The, uh, the new catalogs. So we're looking for how can we be self-sustaining even more than last year. It looks like it might be even more important this coming summer than last pandemic summer. So uh, what are the calorie crops and what are the, the, uh, the nutrient crops, the micronutrient crops? We will uh, make some decisions and, and let you know what we decide to, to shift and change.
So again, this is Howard Jacobson from the Plant Yourself podcast coming to you on the Sick to Fit YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Stay safe. Stay connected. Have a great day. All right. Time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenour for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenour.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franz, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Chawley, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Anne Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Lenin, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Billbury Elf, Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullage, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parangancha, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, Sarah Johnson, Catherine Floyd, for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends.